Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Cape Cod Church, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, enjoy this message in our current series, The Story Project. So, for over a month now, we've been talking about this one big idea that weaves the story of the Bible together. It, it combines the four chapters of the four spiritual laws of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. It, it gives us a way to, to, to put them together. It's the idea that God, all of this is because God wants to give you and me life as a gift. Or as Jesus said, he came to give us life and life to the full. And so for weeks now, we've been unwrapping what it looks like to have a a full life, to, to have this gift of life in our life that God has given us. What does it look like and what does it mean in the most practical of terms? Things like... Uh, meaning and purpose and forgiveness and how do we deal with offense and we've walked through all of that but today i want to i want to wrestle with something that's a little bit difficult and i think you'll know where i'm coming from so why is it that we're supposed to have life and life to the full So why is it that sometimes Christians sound, instead of, you know, like they got a gift of life and life to the full, they just sound, you know, full of it. You know what I'm saying, right? You know, I know I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to go rah-rah team. But listen, if you've been going to church, if you've been following Christ, even if you're not a Christ follower and you go to church, you've probably had somebody say to you the word hypocrites. Like, it seems like it's everywhere. And to be perfectly honest, it's not always an unfair accusation you've probably seen it yourself and maybe you felt the sting of Christian arrogance, of hypocrisy. I've got a word for it. I like this word. I don't like this word, but I think the word is so good and it fits. Moralizing. There's a lot of moralizing. You know what moralizing is? Moralizing is like a fruit smoothie. It's one part moral, and it's another part superiority. You put morals and superiority together in a blender with a little bit of yogurt or ice cream, and there you go. Moralizing. And you've probably at some point been on the receiving end of it. You've certainly seen it, and maybe you've been accused of it, fairly or unfairly. Here's what happened. We found something we believe to be truer than anything else. And then something went wrong. We we weaponized it. We weaponized truth. And how does that happen? 
And oh, by the way, if, uh, if I'm offending uh, you know, my, my, my fellow Christians in the room, let me offend everybody because Christians do not have the corner on the market when it comes to moralizing anymore. There's secular moralizing everywhere. Like we moralize about windmills and water bottles. We moralize about vaccines and politicians. I mean, we have weaponized truth with words everywhere you turn. How in the world do we avoid this? And what I mean by that is how can we believe something without becoming a bully? How can you be moral deeply without being a moralizer? So I think this is important enough to dedicate an entire week to because, and I think you'll see this by the end, because I, to, to really understand where this is coming from, I think it actually gets to the core of what you think Christianity is. Where it came from, how it started, what God intends for you and for me. So like a lot of things we've seen in this series, you have to go back to the first chapter, literally the first chapters of the entire story. We've been turning to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 more than I can ever remember turning before. And I would remind you that Genesis is not meant to be a story about how, it's a story about who. When you put it in the perspective of who and why, it makes perfect sense. In the beginning, God. And he tells this intricate, beautiful story of what he made us for and why. This story is everything. In fact, let me show you what I mean. From Genesis chapter 1, um, if you've got a Bible and you're reading along, we're going to be in Genesis, and then we're going to move to Luke a little bit later on. If you don't have a Bible, uh, don't worry about it. We're going to put it up on the screen. You can follow along. You can, uh, you can fact check me later if you want by opening it up. It's all good. I'm going to read it straight from here. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27. Uh, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. We read this a week ago, we, the, that uh, unique phrasing, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, to be like us, to, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. In his image. He created us in his image to be like. Now this is very important. Like you can't, this is one of those places where a slight deviation from the truth drops you off a cliff into heresy and just madness, right? So we are like, we are not the same as. Like you are meant to be like God. You are made in his image image, but you are not the same as God, and you will not become the same as God. That's new age madness, and when you see it, you should run the other way. But we are meant to be like. Not the same as, like. But we, we are created here in this story as unfinished products. 
Like he, he creates us to, to be like, and then he, he sets us free on this journey of, of becoming. The only one in this story who has arrived is God himself. Everyone else in the narrative ever since is simply on a journey to becoming. We haven't arrived. God alone has arrived. The rest of us are on the journey to arriving, but we will never be what he is, but we are becoming little by little more like him. In fact, you see this played out in the next couple of chapters. So in chapter three, you'll remember, and uh, you, you've got the famous fall and the forbidden fruit, and uh, I mean, it was all going so well, and then, right? It blows up, and the world's changed ever since. But in chapter 3, there's this, there's this interesting moment, right? So Adam and Eve have eaten of the forbidden fruit, and this kind of story is unwrapping this way. And then, and then they realize, like, oh, not good, not good. Did you ever do something, and as soon as you did it, you knew? Like, shouldn't have done that. This will not end well. And they knew. And, and here's how we know this, because here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So, so this is, it, it seems like there was a pattern here where, 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 where God would come down. They knew who he was and what it sounded like, and they heard him coming. And so there was this pattern that God would literally come down and walk with them because they were in the process of becoming. And this is how they were becoming. This is how they were growing. God would come down and he would literally walk with them, right? And so there's this, this picture of them hand in hand, side by side, right? They're in this, this union together with God, right? And they're becoming. But on this occasion, they're hiding. Like, oh, God's here. Quick, hide. It's kind of funny, right? Like, like oh. But they mean they're like, ah. Like they, they know something's wrong. And so they're, 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 yeah, this is, uh, God's, I hear him. Shh. And they're hiding. I love this picture, right? Here's what, here's what it says, right? It says, uh, and they hid from the Lord their God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? <laughs> Marco! Right? You can laugh. It's funny. It's like, this is like, like there's, there's a little bit of like, oh, hey, Adam, we usually hang out. You know, this is how it become. But Adam's hiding, right? And, and Adam's like, ah, he knows, he knows. And he answered, ah, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid. Because, um... I'm, I'm naked. So I hid. Really? That's why you hid? No, it's not. There's bigger issues than you're naked. So I love this next part, right? I mean, that's awkward enough. So God goes, ah, oh, who told you you were naked? It's like, wow, what do you mean who told me? You see what's happening here? Like, like there's, they, were, they were walking, and then he's hiding, and then there's this awkward conversation. 
Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Ah, <laughs> really awkward conversation. When I read this, I thought, oh, this, this looks just like my relationship with God, right? Walking, 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 hiding, hiding, hiding. Have you ever hid from God? Have you ever run from him? Have you ever tried to avoid him? Like, oh, no, nobody has. It's the most perfect church I've ever been in. It's amazing. It's like, you, you people are on fire. You should just go home early. Like, like walking, I'm like walking with God. I'm like listening, I'm learning. I'm, it's, it's like a union, right? It's, a, it, it's, the, it's, not the, it's not the union of peers. It's the union of a master and an apprentice, right? It's, it's I'm walking with him, I'm walking. And while I'm walking, I'm learning. And then, I'm, and then something goes south and I'm hiding and I'm running and I'm running. And then you know what happens next? Awkward conversations. That's what happened next. It's like God comes to you and has God ever convicted you? He like poked his bony little finger in your chest and he's like it's you and you're like i know but what's wrong i'm naked that's not what's wrong that's the problem but that's not what's wrong you see what i'm saying there's walking and there's hiding and there's awkward conversations and there's walking and there's hiding. in other words it's this journey of becoming here's what i'm trying to say i'm laying laying a groundwork here that's really important and it's this the christian life is a life of discovery that's what it is. And before we get to the other stuff and back to hypocrisy and all that, you, you've got to you got to get you got to get a hold of this. You got to you got to grab a hold of it, and, and you can't let it go. You got to like like that's what I am. I'm a, I'm a discoverer. I'm a, I'm I'm on a journey. I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm walking with him, and now I'm hiding from him, and now I'm back, and I'm walking with him because I had an awkward conversation, and he reminded me of who I was supposed to be, and and we're it's a life of discovery that's what the christian life is like how do you view the christian life like what 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 is it what is it you know how would you define it how would you describe it it's not just coming to a beautiful building and singing beautiful songs and listening to a half beautiful message it's not it's not that right it's it's it's, it's got to be more than that and what it is is it's a life of discovery now now let, let, let me let me explain what it is by telling you what it's not it's not a life of self-discovery that's not the Christian life. Now, you're going to discover a lot about yourself on the way, but the Christian life is the discovery of who he is. I mean, like, like I'm like, I'm unwrapping with the master. I'm walking with the master. And as I'm walking with him, I'm like, oh, oh, that's what God is up to. That's who he is. And the more I learn about him, it turns out, the more I learn about myself. But the journey is not a journey of, of self-discovery. In fact, I wanted to read this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's so good. Uh, when we were putting this series together, we came across this, and here's what it says. C.S. Lewis said, Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. I read that a few months ago. And honestly, true story, we almost titled this entire series, Everything Else. And then when I told people that they had the same reaction you had, that's weird. But I love this. Like, look for him and you'll find him and everything else thrown 
end. The Christian life is not a life of, of a simple self-discovery. It's about uncovering who he is and what his gift is. And here's something else, the Christian life. The Christian life is not about finding out what's right and what's wrong. It's not about finding out what's moral and immoral. Oh, you're going to learn that along the way, and you're going to find things that you didn't think were wrong, and, and you're, you're, he's, he's going to mess with all of that. But ultimately, this, this journey of discovery is not about coming up with a list on this side and a list on this side and saying, okay, I've got the list all figured out. That's what Christian Christianity is. Like, if you've reduced Christianity to a checklist, you have missed the beauty because it's a life of discovery. It's like walking and walking, and then you walk around a corner, and it's like, whoa. Like, honestly, I'm giving my life to this thing, and I'm still, I feel like I'm a newbie. I'm like, I'm like uncovering stuff, and, and, and I'm looking at it, and I'm, I'm re-uncovering stuff and reading stuff I read a hundred times, and I'm like, how do I not see that? but it's a life of discovery. Here's something else. And this one, may, this, this one may surprise you a bit because at the end of every service, and I'm going to do it again today, at the end of every service, I, I give a, a, an offer. I, I lead you in a prayer. I invite you. And every week, there are people in our services who, who make a decision. They, they take a step of faith and they they follow Christ. But I just want you to know, I want you to hear it from me. The, the Christian life is not a prayer of faith. It's more than that. That may how it gets started, but it's not just like, like if you've reduced the Christian life to I prayed a prayer and I picked up my Bible on the way out, like, like whoa, man, it's, it's so much more than that. Like it's a life of discovery. Some of you, let me explain it this way. I, uh, some of you know, I went on a, Tammy and I went on a vacation. We did a road trip. I think I've got road trip in my blood. I think, and I got it from my dad, who may be watching online right now. Um, and my dad is like a road trip ninja. My dad is in his upper 70s. And like we did, we, we did our uh, Southwest vacation through all the national parks and stuff. And we, my dad, like he still, he drove halfway across the country. I'm like, no, no, no you can fly across the country and rent a car. My dad thinks that's soft. He's like, ah, you did that little, little, you know, but you, can, you could have drove to Phoenix and then visited all this stuff. I'm like, you can fly to Phoenix and rent a four-wheel drive. And I, and I, I liken that, 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 that picture of I got in a plane and I, I flew from Boston with Tammy to Phoenix and we got off the plane in Phoenix and if I could liken that to that step of faith and we got off and we were we were there and we were together and honestly that was awesome but if I had gotten off the plane in Phoenix and you know snapped a couple of pictures of the airport nobody takes pictures like that anymore it's like this right in your phone like like, don't get me wrong, being with Tammy in Phoenix is pretty cool, and I've got nothing against Phoenix, but that's not, I would have missed, like, a few hours up the road, the Red Rocks of Sedona, go a little bit more, you got the Grand Canyon, you're stuck in Phoenix. Like, Phoenix might be nicer in February, but in August, it's not awesome. Right? I mean, I mean, it's... Uh, like being together there was the start. It was the beginning. And here's what I'm saying is like, like Christianity is this life of discovery, right? You, 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 you took a step of faith and you landed in Phoenix figuratively, right? And, and, 
And now you're on this journey of discovery and wrapped around every corner. You're discovering who he is. And this is what makes the Christian life so endlessly fulfilling is we never run out of twists and turns where we're discovering who he is and what he's doing and what that means in my life. So what does this have to do with the fruit smoothie of morals and superiority, of moralizing and hypocrisy? It turns out it has everything to do with it. In fact, Jesus knew this, and so he told a story. He said, let me tell you a parable or a story about two men who went into a temple to pray. Some of you will remember this story. Now, I'm going to read it to you in a minute. It's short, but watch this. You will instantly recognize who in the story thinks they've arrived and who in the story is on a journey of discovery. Discovering who God is, and because of that, who they are. Here's how the story reads in Luke chapter 8, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. There's the fruit smoothie, right? Look down on everyone else. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you. I can't help it. Every time I read this, I think of Thurston Howell from, you know. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He's arrived. <laughs> He's a moralizer. Anybody want to have dinner with this guy? Nobody. He, he could offer to buy. You don't want to hang out with him. There's just something about it. It drips with arrogance and condens... Not condensation. That's different. <laughs> Nobody bats a thousand, folks, right? Condescension. Right? But then, he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. And he would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
You see, Jesus is saying he came that day and he found something. He was, on a, he was on a journey, a discovery, and he was finding out who God was and what God wanted, and he was discovering in that process something about himself, and it was changing everything. And Jesus said, this guy, this guy went home with what he needed, but the other guy, he got nothing. He thinks he's already got it, but he got, he got nothing. I said all that to say, to bring two ideas together. A life of discovery will set you free to authenticity. It's a little bit awkwardly worded, but I did that on purpose. I just want you to wrestle with it a little bit. A life of discovery will set you free to authenticity. You see, when I'm living a life of discovery and around every bend I'm discovering something new, at some point, I wake up and I realize I'm never going to run out of stuff to discover. And here's what happens. A life of discovery that's set free for authenticity means that I can be honest with you about my weaknesses, not just my strengths. It means that I can share my story, my journey, without moralizing about yours. Do you see how a life of discovery, how, how embracing a Christian life that's a, a, a journey with twists and turns where we're constantly discovering who he is as opposed to someone who's, who's arrived like this life of discovery, when it grips who you are, it, it sets you free to be honest about your weaknesses and your strengths, and it lets me share my journey without moralizing about yours. So let me finish with two stories. In fact, I just want to share one, and then I want you to hear Eric's in his own words. Years ago, I went to a, a pastor's conference, and I knew who the speakers were, and I was, I was particularly interested because one of the guys speaking had, was, was pretty well-known, um, fairly famous, and accomplished, and I hadn't heard him speak in, in years. In fact, I knew that years and years before, he had had a very public moral failing. And so I was curious to hear what he would have to say. He had gone through a long period of restoration and rebuilding and uh, was almost universally admired for that, but had just kind of stepped out of the public eye, and here he was. So I went, and I'm listening, and somewhere about halfway through, he, he went there. He talked about it. Honestly, I was like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I mean, he's just talking about it. I was a little bit taken. I think I sort of admired him, and I felt awkward all at the same time. It was about, I think it was about nine months later, I just happened to be at another gathering, and he was speaking. This one much smaller. There was like 30 leaders. And he was invited just to, to speak and talk to church leaders. 
And he's up there talking and going, and, and then he did it again. He went there, right in front of all of us. He just talked about it. And honestly, this time, I got annoyed. I was like, there was, a, there was a part of me, I was like, you don't have to do that. You don't owe us that. God's grace. A couple years later, I found myself sitting with him having a cup of coffee, just the two of us. It was a unique turn of events, and we're just talking. And right in the middle of the conversation, you know what he does? He does it again. He just goes there. But now I had him one-on-one, -on -one and I said to him, I said, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Why are you doing that? I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me and he said, Ben, that's my story. And God wants me to share it with you. I knew right then I wanted that man as a mentor. I knew I wanted a little bit of what he had. A life of discovery that can be honest and transparent about faults and weaknesses, that can share a journey in all of its goodness and glory and in all of its brokenness and weakness without moralizing about yours, it was beautiful. Because you see, a life of discovery sets you free to authenticity. I thought of that as I was watching this next story from Eric. Some of you who've been in Starting Point may have met Eric. He's led a number of our groups. It is a beautiful story about a life of discovery and authenticity. So before we close, would you watch this? Okay, I'm Eric Carplus, and I live in Falmouth, Massachusetts. Well, I grew up in the public school system, and I would say that it was a pretty incredible experience for me from the perspective that I got exposed to a lot of different ideas and a lot of different things and it seemed like almost everything came naturally to me. I got out of college with this feeling that, um, you know, if I had a problem, yo, I was going to solve it. And that was kind of my attitude. I had very little exposure to Christianity growing up. My family didn't go to church and we didn't talk about spiritual things. I do remember getting exposed to people who were Christians while I was growing up and it seemed on average that they were people who were either not very smart or they had a lot of emotional problems. And Christianity was a solution for that and it was fine for them, but it was something that I had no interest in because I didn't consider myself to have any emotional problems and I considered myself to be pretty intelligent. And my life seemed like it was very much on track. I was happy with who I was around and what I was doing and didn't anticipate how anything besides what I was doing could help me get where I wanted to go in life. 
um, a lot of times I would go to a library at the place where I went to college. It was in the basement of the math department, which was a very tall tower near the physics building. And there were very, very smart people, people who won Nobel Prizes, went to this school and studied in this library. And um, occasionally you'd have a very smart person write an epiphany in the graffiti in the bathroom. And there was a statement there by someone who had been working on their uh, PhD thesis for years. And they said, have you ever had the experience of working on your thesis for years? only to realize moments before you turned it in that you're just plain wrong. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, you're kind of a fool to work so hard on something for so long and to not realize up until the very last moment that you're completely wrong. And it never occurred to me that that would ever happen to me. And one of the things that I discovered as I encountered what Christianity was about is that I, in fact, had been living in an environment where I was completely unaware of the way things really were. And it was only as I became aware of those things that I saw how I had been exactly like that person who wrote the graffiti. The thing that drew me into Christianity was an awareness, a realization that there was actually something more true about Christianity than there was about anything else that I had believed up until that point. And that if that was the case, I would do well to order my life along those lines rather than ignoring it completely. And as I became familiar with what was actually written in the Bible, I realized these are not just stories that people made up. It's impossible to account for them in that way. In fact, if we feel that they're stories that were just made up, everything I believed about history from the same time period is probably more likely to be just made up than the things that have been written about Christ. I discovered that God wanted me to know not just that he exists and that he loves me, but that being a part of his family makes it possible for me to experience things that were completely inaccessible to me before. Death never bothered me as I was growing up. I used to tell that to my mother and it bothered her tremendously. And it wasn't because I didn't like life. It was just something I wasn't concerned about losing. It was just, I felt like I had it and why would I need anything else? But it never occurred to me that every person on the face of this planet expects to die, whether we realize it or not. There's no way out. Nobody gets out of here alive. And so this thing that I thought was life was actually an illusion of life. And it became apparent to me that the reality was that God had made an effort to make it known to me that it was an illusion. And he had also at the same time offered me the authentic life that only he could provide and a life that would never end, a life that was full of things besides the challenges that I continually experienced. It was a bit of a surprise in 2015, or actually it was late 2014 when my wife was diagnosed with cancer and we just kind of still had this attitude like, hey, it's no big deal, we'll figure this out, you know, people get better from this all the time and we'll be some of them. And over the next three and a half years, she went through treatment after treatment and we kept being on the wrong side of the statistics and it became clear that she wasn't going to recover. And surprisingly, it was the best period in our entire life together, both from a marriage perspective and from a business productivity perspective, from a family vitality perspective, just everything. It was as if this reality had all of a sudden <clears throat> become our experience on a regular basis. I'm sorry, I, I lost it there. Um, so the, the last three years um, while she was going through treatment and it became apparent that she wasn't going to recover, it was literally the best time that we had 
as a couple. It was the most productive time in our business and it was the most precious time in our family. And it was further evidence to both of us that this is a reality that does matter. It's something that does affect the experience that we have in this world. And I <clears throat> have really lived through the realization that what she went through was actually the ultimate upgrade that we can all look forward to. That stepping out of time and into eternity in the presence of God is far better than hanging on to something here that's already broken. The greatest gift that God has given me is an awareness of who He is and how much He loves me and how real that is, not just in the future, but right now, today, here, moment by moment. But He wants me to experience His good gifts and to be able to share them with other people. That has profoundly affected so many of the decisions I've made on a day-to-day -day basis and from a long-term perspective. And it has really allowed me to go through life with a feeling of joy and peace that would not be accessible to me in any other way. I would like to recognize the role that Cape Cod Church has had in my life. I have found this place to be an incredible manifestation of God's grace and His patience and His glory. And there are so many people with so many stories that God has collected into this congregation that it is further testimony to me and I think to the many people that we have fellowship with here that God is very much alive and well and at work in everyone's life and that he's inviting each one of us to experience who he is on a daily basis and that has been transformational for me. I love Eric's story in part because I know Eric and I've walked through this journey with him and in part because I know his story is very much like a lot of your stories. God is doing his work, weaving it along and finding you. So I want to close with this in two ways. Maybe you're here and you've taken that flight from Boston to Phoenix. You took that step of faith and you've begun this journey with Christ, but you maybe need this morning to just recommit yourself to a life of discovery. Walking, occasionally hiding, Awkward conversation, walking, walking in union, an apprentice with the master. And you may just need a few minutes to just pray and commit yourself back to that kind of a journey. And maybe you're here and you're ready to take that flight from Boston to Phoenix. I, of course, don't mean a real flight from Boston to Phoenix. I mean a step of faith. You've been wrestling with God. Maybe he's been chasing you. Maybe there's a whole story that brought you right here that God has been doing just to say, hey, 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 hey. This is for you. Maybe today you're ready. 
Every week through this series so far, people have told us that was for me. I was ready. And God did it. Sometimes they were wrestling with it. Sometimes I never saw it coming. But if that's you, I want to give you a chance to do that before we leave today. So would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Listen, this isn't about where you go to church or how often you go to church. This could be your first time or your hundredth time. It's not about how well you know the Bible or how good of a life you lead or whether you've figured it all out. It's a life of discovery. This is a step of faith. It, it lands you at the place where you get started discovering who he is and what he's doing. So if that's you, I want to invite you to pray right where you're seated. All across this room. A prayer of faith. There's no magic words. It's prayer of faith. Prayer there says, God, I invite you into my life. Jesus Christ, I trust you as my Savior. I believe that what you did on the cross gives me the grace and forgiveness I need. I accept it. If that's you, I invite you to pray now. If you want, you can pray along with me. Something like this. Dear God, I'm sitting here today and I believe you're speaking to me, calling me. I don't understand everything about that. I'm not even sure what comes next. But I want you in my life. I want to trust you as my Savior. Jesus Christ, I invite you into my life. I ask for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness of sins once and for all taken care of on a cross. Help me now to live my life fully for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series, The Story Project. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts, or join us for our live stream services on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.